On this week's episode of the podcast, Kanye bailed on his new release, so we review the latest ministry instead. We talk about sad songs and go shoegazing, so get in, we're going crying. Welcome to Wanderings and Wool Gathering, episode 13. Oh boy, here we go. Unlucky 13. Are we destined for failure? Will JPP suddenly forget all technical knowledge and pick up the kazoo? The instrument, I mean, not the Flintstones character. Will Tony suddenly start quoting Billy Bob Broccoli instead of Maynard, trading in quotes about sweet insanity for a reverie on anchovies? Perhaps. Perhaps we're located on a dummy floor between 12 and 14, presided over by a court of owls. One false move, and there goes the show. Alas, fear not, my friend. It is neither Friday nor the 13th. I did not descend 13 stairs to the Wanderings Nerd Cave, nor did T-Bags climb 13 to his art den. Loki will not be entering Valhalla tonight to upset our balance, and no coven of witches were harmed in the making of this pod. In fact, Judas is not among us, and George has joined our ride with his shield, arrows, and olives in tow. We're in good hands tonight, folks, so sit back, crack open your favorite beverage, and join us in what will be the most lucky episode 13. I'm your host, Foggy, and with me, as always, are the birthday boys, T-Bags and JPP. Hey there. Good evening, fellas. How's it going? Good evening. How's it going? Uh, you had me at anchovies. Well, I'm out of here. <laughs> <laughs> that was a great intro. <laughs> that was. I was trying not to, to laugh, and if Same. I would have been, if I would known it was going to be like that, I would have had the kazoo ready, but uh, it's all right. <laughs> Dang it. Nice. I just wanted to talk about the Flintstones character. So That's, that's right. I'm trumping his challenge with Flintstones trivia. <laughs> Not really. How were your birthdays, boys? Good. Good. Ate too much. Yeah. Um, that's one nice thing about birthdays is family wants to get together and uh, you, you load up and go somewhere. And, and my family, I don't know about you guys, but they like to uh, embarrass me and let the staff know it's my birthday, so they bring a little tiny treat or whatever. So um, one brought a, a tiny bowl with a baby spoon, so that was a nice little <laughs> touch at the end of the meal. And, and tonight we went out to dinner, and a uh, lady brought this giant sundae. I'm like, are you kidding? She went back and got a couple extra spoons so everybody could share it. And I was, There's no way I was going to do that. <laughs> That's nice. <laughs> yeah, my father-in-law, um, but uh, he knew that I used to hate to be have any like sort of like you know attention or anything like that especially on my birthday and so i tried to pick somewhere where they wouldn't sing to us so we went to culver's <laughs> and um he was crazy and he ended up uh talking the staff behind the counter into coming out from behind the counter and singing to me anyway <laughs> wasn't part of their policy nice so yeah, yeah good. good guy but yeah all in all uh, my birthday was good as well so sweet excellent All right, well, let's kick off the show in usual fashion with the challenge. And uh, T-Bags issued the challenge last time, so quick refresher, and then let's dig in. I believe, I can't remember what it was, if it was three or four, but I think it was three. Top three sad songs. That's correct. Uh, I don't know, because I obviously have more than three, so... Yeah, and if I remember correctly, you said it didn't necessarily have to be just a sad song. It could be one that you know kind of in, in created those emotions for you. Yeah. Um. So I, I went partly that route too. Definitely, <laughs> I went entirely that route. <laughs> <laughs> um, but before we begin, um, we do have a write-in 
uh, from Metalhead Monday, who could not mm-hmm. be on the show tonight, but he did want to send us his three sad songs. And uh, he came up with uh, Chris Isaac, uh, Big Blue Spanish Sky, Tori Amos, Me and a Gun, mm-hmm. and Stabbing Westward, Waking Up Beside You. And so those were his three. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, solid choices for sure. For sure. Tori Amos had some real heavy material, especially on that first album. And, uh, you know, Chris Isaac, he's a fantastic album, man. Mm-hmm. I need to revisit that. Thanks for bringing that up, Monday, because the, uh, uh, just the overall sound of, of that, I can't remember the name of the album off the top of my head, but Wicked Game was on yes. there. And I learned that riff, um, and just fell in love with a lot of rever- reverb on the guitar as a result. Mm-hmm. So, um, Welcome to my rabbit hole early, guys. That's uh, that's Metalhead Monday's fault, but thanks for bringing it up. I'm definitely going to dig that out and listen to it this week. Excellent. Um, who do we want? Paul, you want to? Are we going to do the rounds this time again? Do it one at a time. Yeah, I think that's cool. Yeah, I, I do too. Uh, Paul, do you want to kick up? Where well, are we doing these? I'm not going to do mine in any order. Mine are just all three the same, so it doesn't matter to me. But uh, Paul, you want to kick it off? Yeah, yeah, no problem. I'm going to kind of go, um, not necessarily in order as well, but this was more or less one of the first songs that kind of hit me on a, on a heavy uh, note, if you will. It's In My Darkest Hour by Megadeth, and it's from the So Far, So Good, So What album. I did a quick search. I had heard through the years that he had written that song about uh, Cliff Burton uh, on the day that he passed, but uh, Dave Mustaine actually put on Twitter himself that he wrote the song the day he died, but the lyrics were about something different. Um, but nonetheless, the lyrics are like, in, in my hour of need, no, you weren't there. And, you know, as a teenager, you kind of feel um, a lot of emotions and whatnot. And a big piece of it is as you're growing up and kind of finding yourself, you may have some issues with uh, some decisions your parents make because you feel like you're grown up enough to do something and they certainly know better, but you know everything and they know nothing. Um, you know, so all those kind of um, emotions and, and that period of your life is a whirlwind and, and music was certainly a way to cope with a lot of that. And so there were times I would pop this tune on and, and, you know, especially when I was angry or upset and stuff like that. And, and just kind of helped me kind of ride through that wave basically. But, uh, you know, solid tune, great, um, leads, good riffs, you know, it's a nice little kind of a slower drive for Megadeth. It wasn't, uh, as fast and in your face as some of the other, uh, pieces, especially like mechanics from their very first album and, and, uh, you know, later on into what Rust and Peace became even so, but, uh, nonetheless, it's a nice tune that, uh, you know, definitely had a lot of emotion in it. Yeah, I love that tune. I was I was into that back then too, and the, I remember, I mean, just how it like even picks up in the middle a little bit, you know. I mean, lyrically, when he's mm-hmm. like, "Did you ever think that I get lonely? Did you ever think that I needed love? Did you ever think to stop thinking that?" It, it's mm-hmm. a solid song to this day. It holds up, I think. Oh yeah, yeah, and you know, really, it. it metal music as a whole really hits the core of humanity you know the need to be loved the need to be validated and and things like that and a lot of music is a a good escape from reality and sometimes this brings you back in and just lets you understand hey i'm not alone in these feelings i'm not alone in this journey and and so i think that's kind of what brings the brotherhood in metal as a whole Uh nice all right yeah mine mine is right in the same line with that (laughs) not quite (laughs) Um, I, I figured out as I did this, that I'm a very visual person. I already knew, you know, based on the fact that I love comics and everything, I'm very visual, but my choices 
also sort of came down to visuals and feeling and, um, and movies or whatever. Um, but my first choice was It Can't Rain All the Time by Gene Seabury from the Crow soundtrack. Oh, yeah. Um, last oh. night I had a dream. You came into my room. You took me into your arms, whispering and kissing me and telling me to still believe. But then the emptiness of a burning sea against which we see our darkest, darkest of sadness. Um, kind of that, you know, you have that dreamy thing like it's all back and then the reality hits you again. Um, I just love, that's such a beautiful song. Um, and then obviously put uh-huh. in the context of the rain and the dreariness of that movie. And then, you know, oddly enough, you're saying goodbye to Brandon Lee at the same time, um, who died far too young. Um, just a great, great song. Very sad and, uh, perfect on that soundtrack. It was just an awesome soundtrack as well. And that just, that's the last song on the soundtrack and really caps it off. Love that one. Yeah. I need to go back and listen to that. I, I love that song too, and I almost completely forgot about it. I hate that. I hate to say that. I hate that we live in this world where, oh yeah, I almost <laughs> forgot about that song completely. And it's so good. There's no reason, but we just have so much music and so many years from then to now. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. And it's it's scary to think that, um, you know, things like that that had such a long lasting impact, that's almost kind of a legacy in your library, is pushed aside as if it were disposable art. That's certainly not the case. It's just that life gets mm-hmm. in the way of living. I can totally relate to what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I'll go. I have so many of these. I did I did narrow it down to three and then have like 4,000. <laughs> I was going to say, is this is this your first round five, to- I five choices? <laughs> I almost went with three categories <laughs> and then just had stuff underneath <laughs> it. But, um, but I'll switch it up. So uh, I'm going with one that's fairly obscure and it's actually fairly new to me i just found it this year um but it's a song called an evening i will not an evening i will not forget by dermot kennedy and um i don't know a hundred percent what the song is about but there's it's not written in a typical song structure as far as the rhyme scheme goes and it seems like someone who wrote something in a journal that was very personal to them that they needed to say put it to music and then sang it with an emotion of someone that feels like the day they wrote it, probably. So, um, yeah, that one that one gets me. And I don't know if you guys have songs like this, but like, yeah, it, I don't necessarily relate it to any one particular thing in my life. It's just that I can feel some other human being emo- emoting like that, and and the way that everything comes together, you just automatically feel sad <laughs> yeah very cool um i'll need to check that out definitely put the link in the show notes because uh you know it's i'm not familiar with it whatsoever but i'm i'm sold okay <laughs> yeah i'm definitely checking that out too and i think we just revealed something about teabags he apparently is an x-man because he can feel others emoting <laughs> do you have super... to touch them while you they're emoting you know it's you a, said nice you learned something. never never mind this is getting way <laughs> As he crouches and approaches, folks, he's beginning uh, to sense. Oh, <laughs> no! I'm a, I'm really curious to listen to it now, uh, based on the fact you felt like you're kind of a voyeur in on somebody's journal or whatever. Yeah, that's definitely. kind of a cool. Concept. All right, Paul. Looks like we're up to round two. All right. Well, <clears throat> this is not a sad song whatsoever, but I brought <laughs> it up in in the uh, a previous episode. Um, the song is What's Love Got to Do With It by Tina Turner. And um, while in most cases it makes me smile, um, it does put a sense of longing in me whenever I hear it. 
uh, it was one of my dad's favorite tunes when I was a kid. And, you know, I lost him, uh, sadly, almost nine years ago now. And uh, when, uh, when I was young, he would get up and, and work for a construction company. He'd be up early and uh, I'd be asleep. There, was, there were times during summer break where I'd fall asleep on the couch watching something and I'd sleep there all night. And uh, he would just act a fool. That song would be on the radio, and he would belt it out to the top of his lungs. Didn't sound like Tina Turner, of course, but he owned it. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he sold that performance to whatever dog or cat was sitting there watching him and getting ready to run off. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, nonetheless, anytime I hear that song, I think of that time in my life. And, uh, you know, I, I certainly do smile, you know, looking back in one way, but at the same time, it's like, man, what, what I would do to be able to do that again, you oh, know? Sure. So, um, that certainly gets a, a nod for, for that, you know, for the, the sentimental aspect. And I'm going to add an honorable mention only because it ties in with my dad as well. Um, I can't talk about him enough as you guys know, but, uh, yeah. um, Tony knows when he passed, uh, before I started my last album, Data of the East Accolade, one of the first things I did is I wrote a song called The Path That Ends, and it, I wrote it directly about him, and uh, that became way too painful to continue. I finished the song, but it was definitely pouring salt on the wound. Um, I have a link on SoundCloud. I'll put, the, put it in the show notes as well, but um, that was one of the more personal tunes I've ever written in that regard. A lot of what I write is mostly instrumental and things like that, but um, this was just a near and dear fresh experience that I had to communicate in, in the medium I knew how essentially. But, um, you know, that also for me is, is a sad song, even though it does kind of have some pop hooks and things like that. It's, uh, you know, kind of direct and to the point. The chorus was, I always thought I'd get a chance to say goodbye, but I guess that's not the case. And, uh, you know, it just kind of repeats, but I really didn't have any other words. It was just short and to the point in that regard. But, um, you know, being able to finish it was a daunting task. I'm I'm glad I did, um, but I I certainly had to write about him from a different angle. Hence the um, the Commodore 64 and the gift of music from you know that journey essentially. So mm-hmm. that's a story for another day. But I wanted to throw that in there since we're talking about my my father. Oh, that's good, man. I appreciate that's you sharing awesome. that. And I I do remember all of that time pretty closely. And that song is fantastic. I hate that it came out of that. You know. But I'm glad that it's out there, and um, yeah, I love your whole family. So, I, I, like I said, I hate that it came out that way, but right. Um, but yeah. you know, that's how that's how musicians or you know people in general they find a way to cope, and that was that was my mechanism at that time. But also, how cool! I mean, speaking of your dad singing, what's love got to do with it and stuff like that? Like, what kind of positive energy? I mean, singing to the pets, you know, and. Was it, you, mm-hmm. did you say it was before he was leaving for work? Yeah, like he, he would be up at 4.30 in the morning getting ready and, you know, he'd have yeah. to go and, and be there, you know, pretty much at sunrise and be ready to start the day, yeah. um, you know, and trying to beat the rush hour traffic and stuff. So, um, you know, he, he he definitely, you know, sacrificed a lot to, to do this grueling job, but he always, you know, tried to make the most of it. And when there was a fun moment, he took full advantage of it. And that was one such yeah. moment. That's what I'm saying is like how many times... Even I grumble before going to work, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm not, I'm not getting up at four. I'm getting up at, you know, 20 minutes before I have to be at work. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, maybe there's just no time for me to sing, but, uh, good on him for having such a positive attitude. Yeah, definitely. Maybe there's a new, new year's resolution for you in there somewhere, right? <laughs> yeah. Let's not go too far. <laughs> <laughs> 
Stevie. Yeah, well, good good singer or not, it's that that's what music does though. Like, it's given you this amazing memory of your dad, mm-hmm. you know, and mm-hmm. a song that maybe you wouldn't care about today had it not been for that really. Precisely. And it's just got a permanent place in your heart now. Yep. That's exactly. awesome. Okay. When you guys hear this, you're going to know how much I love my number one choice. Because, uh, and it's not Rush. <laughs> Surprise. Is no, it bar- it's not really. Is it Barbie Girl? <laughs> you're close. It's a spice. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. Um, that was on mine. Dang it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's interesting when, I didn't know where Paul was going with it, but when he said, this isn't exactly a sad song, mm-hmm. my choice is both, it is sad, but then it's also not. It's the same song used twice in a movie. Well, actually, it's used a million times, but the, the two that parallel each other. Um, the first one, Luke Skywalker is uh, on the sand dune looking out uh, towards the twin sons, and Luke's theme is playing. And you, so you get this sense of longing, and he's looking to the stars, and you know something's coming. You know he's getting ready to take this journey. And so you've got this you know, feeling of, uh, you know, it's very positive. There's inspiration there. You know he's, he's going somewhere. Uh-huh. But then in uh, the final movie, as he passes, um, it's the same song. The twin sons come up, uh-huh. and it takes this suddenly this totally opposite feeling, but you just kind of get that gut wrenching feeling when you hear that you know the tears well up um as luke sort of fades away um and i almost went with just quick side note uh yoda's theme as he passes because you know when we meet him he's a really whimsical character he is like a muppet um he's silly and goofy and he throws luke off you know that he's not really the jedi master and all that and when he passes there's a little bit of that whimsy but it gives way to the sad horns and everything as he he finally goes. I almost chose that one, but uh, the other two coming full circle was a little bit too much for me, so that's my yeah. second choice. Well, that's cool. <laughs> I don't I don't have anything to say on that one because I I just, I just need to hear it actually. It's really cool that you brought that up because there's a juxtaposition uh, in how that tune plays with the visuals and uh, you know overall thematically very similar just. You know, given you've gone through the story arc and now you're hearing it from a different perspective, basically. So very yeah. cool choice. And and it's interesting, too, because it does sort of finish the notes on a high note. And typically mm-hmm. when you do that, you're not sad when it finishes that way. But in Luke's case, as he passes, you know, there's something triumphant going on because he is passing to where Yoda and Obi-Wan mm-hmm. go. Um, or, you know, if you're a Christian or whatever, and you go to heaven. So there's that positive mm-hmm. aspect as well. Mm-hmm. Um, uh-huh. But there's the sadness for us because we, you know, we lose him. Right, right. And, you know, there's also, you know, deeper in the story, hope for the rebels and, and things like that, too. So there's, uh, you know, a lot of things going on with it, within that uh, voicing change, you know, as far as the whole story goes. So, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll nerd out on that, on, on that all day if I can. <laughs> I'll call you tomorrow. Cool. <laughs> all right, teabags, number two. Okay. Like I said, I have... So many, and I, I'm just going to go three, and we can talk about other ones when we have time, but I really tried to stay away from anything way too mainstream. Um, I don't know why, but I just, I tried to, and I just couldn't. So I went with this kind of obscure, kind of new to me one for my last choice, but for this one, um, I Will Remember You by Sarah McLaughlin. Mm-hmm. Um, I just don't think that anyone can listen to that that's human and not have some sort of feeling towards that no matter 
how many times they've used it on a movie or a soap opera or an ad or anything like that. Um, there's some lines in there, especially where she says, like, uh, remember the good times that we had? I let them slip away from us when things got bad. I think we all do that, you know? You kind of, like, you try to... Sometimes we can over-romanticize the good things that happened, but at the same time, sometimes we can just be so blinded by these, like, oh, it's been a bad year or whatever, you know, and forget what someone has done or meant to us or something like that. So, but at the at the end of it all, I've never really thought about it much until we did this challenge, but, you know, she says, will you remember me? And I think we all selfishly want to have somebody remember us in some way, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's cool to have, especially like in Paul's world, where you can leave music behind or something like that. Um, but yeah, so anyway, I mean, I think there's as cool and as sad and as deep as it already is, there's, I think, a, even another deepness that just relates on a human level to, pr I would say, pretty much anyone that has a heart. Absolutely. I always think about, you know, as we get older, of course, and, you know, you hit your midlife crisis or whatever, you know, I'm not going out and buying a Corvette or whatever, but sometimes I think... <laughs> What is my legacy? What am I leaving behind? What are people going to say? Uh -huh. um, because I want my life to be worthwhile. I want to do something important, something I love. So I think that's only natural. Will you remember me? Um, God, I hope we all have somebody that, you know, that remembers and carries us on, right? Yes. I would probably say our, our huge fan base will remember us. <laughs> All three of them are going to send cards. Yeah. Your Thanks, mom. Metalhead Monday. Yeah, Monday. Yeah, Monday, your mom. And... Uh, all right. Well, JPP, <laughs> round three is back to you. Awesome. Yeah. It, you know, this this whole thing's tough because um, you know, when I listen to music, I generally don't think about sadness all that much. So this was a, a, a real stretch for me to really push and dig deep on um, moments that I can recall the sadness. And so, mm -hmm. um, you know, there's uh, I'll put an honorable mention in at the end, but um, one that stood out as a tune that resonated with me on that level was um, Love You to Death by Typo Negative. Mm. It was off the album October Rust, which is a very good album, by the way. But at the time when that album came out, I was working at a record store out of high school, um, had a handful of buddies that were still around, but a lot of people went off to college, went off to do their thing. And uh, I was, you know, kind of a, a single guy working a record store, playing in a band, didn't have much else going on. And so, you know, there were definitely some bouts of, of loneliness, I guess, um, that came about. And... Uh, this album was out at that time when it kind of hit the peak and the song basically it's kind of written out like a story about a, a woman and and uh it, you know it's kind of sexual in nature because he's talking about candles burning and you know sweat and that kind of thing but the last half of the song basically uh you know saying let me love you to death and um he kept driving home the lyrics am i good enough for you and uh, that section is just fantastic and i remember sitting in the car listening to the cd and you know kind of belting it out along with it because peter Steele is definitely known for having a real deep voice he uses it a lot in that song but there at the end he was hitting kind of a higher register and and just really emoting like you said earlier and um it's 
one of those songs that whenever I hear it, I still, I feel good when I hear it nowadays, but, um, it definitely was one that I really used to kind of push me through, um, those times much like, you know, Steve was saying like, you know, what am I going to do? What, what's going to, what kind of value can I bring to the world? Even though I wasn't maybe completely uh, cognizant of that line of thought, there was certainly, uh, me trying to figure out a path and which way to go. And, um, you know, this album was, uh, kind of a mechanism that, that got me through that. Another thing music is there for. <laughs> yeah. To get us through, I think. What was the name of the album it was on? Uh, October Rust. October Rust. Cool. Yeah. And Steve, before we move on to you, uh, Paul, you know, you're talking about it's, you don't think about this stuff a lot and that's great. Um, but I, I think part of the challenge, I mean, selfishly, I'm right. I'm writing something right now that has to do with some sadness, but I mm-hmm. kind of wanted some, you know, new songs. But in in all honesty, too, I feel like it is that contrast sometimes that, you know, sometimes you got to have. The, I don't. It's not fear of it or anything like that. It's just there's a real. The world stops and everybody kind of feels it. At sometimes, you know, and and mm-hmm. loneliness feels so lonely, but everybody feels lonely. And everyone experiences death and all that kind of stuff. It's just, it's a connecting thing. And I think that's why I kind of wanted us to look at it too, was, you know, just to give us some of that contrast of the, all the good things that we have too. Um, a great yeah, appreciation. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, no, that's awesome. And, um, you know, for me, when I listen to music, as you guys know, I definitely start going into, oh man, that's a tasty chord. Oh, I love that <laughs> yeah. guitar tone. I wonder what distortion pedal he's using. So my brain goes into that yep. rabbit hole right out of the gate. So, um, and this is nice to have these conversations with you guys about music because you take a step back already naturally and start looking at the lyrics and looking at, you know, the drive of the song in, in that fashion where mm-hmm. I kind of, oh yeah, mumble, mumble, he's saying words, but I want to get into this <laughs> guitar tone. You know what I mean? So right. <laughs> um, it's it's a learning experience for me because I've, you know, gone into a whole other realm of it for so long that it's second nature. Good point. Yeah. Okay, Steve, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there. <laughs> no, you're good. You're good. No, this was really hard for me because I'm like Paul, I don't, typically gravitate to that kind of song. Um, and I I typically dial in on drums in music. Um, mm-hmm. So so this has been really cool. My number one choice, though, was just a no-brainer for me, and it was super easy, and it's gut-wrenching, and it's simple. Um, and what I love about it, <clears throat> you think about sadness or feeling at such a base level, mm-hmm. the lyrics couldn't be more plain and simple and straightforward and repetitive. There's nothing elegant about them. Um, The song is called Here, Here, and Here. And it's by Gord Downey. And it was one of the songs on the Secret Path soundtrack, which had the the art drawn by Jeff Lemire. And uh, they they put the art in motion. Um, And they actually did a, a concert outside and had the the visuals behind it, which was really cool. And you can go on YouTube, I think, and watch it. Um, so the story is this Channy Winjack from Canada. He was uh, one of the native people, and they took them sort of into camps to, it was very similar to what happened in America, but they were going to civilize them. Mm-hmm. Um, but the treatment that these kids, they were, they were basically taken out of their homes um, against their will, and they were sent to these places to be civilized, and they were abused and so they're in Canada, and I don't know, Canada is ginormous, you know, even mm-hmm. driving, you know, from Toronto to Vancouver, you know, I'm going to Toronto next week, so we were looking up there, it's like a 40-hour drive, Oof. you know, so it's really 
it's a, a huge country, you know? And so this kid escapes, and he's going to walk home. And it's the, that's the secret path. And so as the end of this draws near, this is the last song, and he's on his path, um, he's actually curled up next to those railroad tracks, and he starts to see. So you're, you're not sure at the moment if he's really seeing his dad or whatever, but um, the lyrics are, I feel here, here, and here. I hurt here, here, and here. I live here, here, and here, and then I died here, here, and here. And so he, as he's as he's walking, you the colors change a little bit, so you know it's not real. But he connects to his father, um, and you think, oh, he made it back home. But then it comes back to I died here, and it goes back, and he's curled up next to the train tracks. Um, wow, it is brutal. Gosh. Let me tell you, Marianne and I were just a puddle <laughs> by the time this thing ended. Um, and then, of course, Gord died. Um, this was like his his passion project, and he had brain cancer, and he passed away um, right after he got to finish this. So at least he got to finish it. Um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> you guys need to watch. I've also, we ordered it immediately, got the huge book with all the art, and uh, and it came with the CD and all that. So it's it's amazing. You can just almost cry thinking about it. It's And it's true, which makes it even worse. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like a punch yeah that's uh oh man i mm. i hate to say that that's like beautiful but like from an artist's perspective and you know all that went into it and uh yeah i definitely want to see it it reminds me too of david bowie's last release as well black star For you know sure. we got the news that he passed away and then that album mm-hmm. came out and i immediately bought it and when i listened to it you know i it didn't even hit the radar with me because i was trying to dig really deep but mm-hmm. you know th- that video for the opening or the track that he released right after yeah. that hit really hard because you could just tell he was basically saying goodbye to everybody and and mm-hmm. there was a story with it and stuff yeah. too and i'm getting goosebumps as i talk about it but mm-hmm. um yeah, I mean, for again, somebody who left a legacy as is, and then just had enough in them to leave one final mark for the world, you know, that's that's incredible. Yes, gosh, yeah, and that that Bowie track is really good. And I thought mm-hmm. about that when I saw that video. Like, he knew what he was shooting. You know, mm-hmm. you see those ones, and you're like, you know, poor guy didn't know what was coming. You, you see different <laughs> things yeah. like that, and then you see these, mm-hmm. and wow. But okay. Yeah. Um, anything else on that? Because I don't want to cut you guys off. But I, I, I definitely want to see that, Steve. No, I, I did find uh, for sure that particular track. Um, and so, you know, I'll post that in the show notes. Um, I'd have to dig a little deeper and see if you can get the whole thing. But I'm sure it's out there. Um, and what else? Is, what else? The other part that's so cool about it, mm-hmm. um, Jeff Lemire's art is very rudimentary. It's not... It, it isn't like a very finely polished artist. That's not what he does. But he's mm-hmm. also probably the most emotional or emotion-driving artist that I follow, that I read. Um, he can get you to cry about any time. Uh, get you bowling <laughs> over a little boy with antlers. You know what I mean? He's just, <laughs> he kills me. So, yeah. Wow. Uh, but yeah, I'll, I'll see if I can find the whole thing for you and put that in the show notes too. Sweet. Okay. Well, my final one is two. just so you know nice uh yeah um so part of what (laughs) part of what i'm writing uh, i guess i'll do a selfish plug here too is i'm i'm finally finishing a novel that i've been working on for a long time here and there so 
I've given myself to the end of the year to have a manuscript out that can be edited. So, but in there, in the novel, there's a woman who um, counsels people, and she basically says that you can lose people to life. You, someone can lose their life, or someone can lose their love. And that there's a very fine line there, and the only thing that distinguishes the two is one has hope. And so, that is, uh, and a lot of times when I'm writing this, I need to listen to certain songs and get myself back into a place to write from a very sad perspective. So, so I decided for my final one, that is two, is to go with one that shows someone that has lost life and someone that has lost love. <laughs> so, it counts as one, right, Steve? And Tony rules, I'm sure. That might be half. <laughs> okay, so the one that can, or the one that the one that is um, about losing someone to life is uh, "Wings for Marie," Ten Thousand Days" by Tool. And Maynard, obviously, you know, uh, had a relationship with his mom. He's written several things and with other, you know, with even with his other bands that have to do with his mother, and he's named wine after her that have come from his vineyard and things like that so obviously she was a special woman to him and 10,000 days the rumor has it is roughly the amount of time that she spent time in a wheelchair after becoming paralyzed so um he and Maynard is no makes no bones about it that he doesn't really love organized religion I think Maynard is more spiritual than he'll let on but I think that he has had some experiences that has turned him off to religion and his mom was a real, you know, diehard Christian. And even through her affliction, even through her church, almost shunning her because she was afflicted, um, she still kind of stayed true um, to, to her beliefs. So, which you can hear that in Judith when Maynard is so mad and cursing at God for, you know, how how he's done this to her. But in Wings for Marie, in 10,000 Days, what I loved is Maynard took a step back, let and embraced her beliefs and let her and and gave her a really fitting tribute and but it starts off in a very dark place and he's talking about um cold fluorescence and cold fluorescence and I think he's identifying the body is what I think that part is because he says difficult to see you in this light or at least maybe it was towards the end of her life and um but then he goes into a really good whole song about her and her religion and her faith and how no one can even hold a candle to her but it kind of culminates in this big piece that says um as set as i am in my ways and my arrogance with the burden of proof tossed upon the believers you are my witness my eyes my evidence judith marie unconditional one and then it dives into after some guitar stuff it, it dives into a back almost like bookends with the same solemn uh, how it started and it says daylight dims leaving cold fluorescence difficult to see you in this light please forgive this bold suggestion but should you see your maker's face tonight look him in the eye look him in the eye and tell him i've never lived a lie never took a life but surely saved one hallelujah it's time for you to bring me home so i, I and it's just such a powerful song musically too mm -hmm. are you familiar with it paul i know you're a tool fan too and and steve yeah you guys yeah, I am. And, you know, you mentioning that, I can certainly see, you know, the uh, the perspective on um, someone's faith and, and kind of seeing, you know, their journey and then you caring about them so much that um, you, you get angry for them, you know, like you mm -hmm. were saying. And, and uh, the music really speaks to that. 
Mm-hmm. I agree. Are you familiar with it, Steve? The song? Yeah, you played it for me once. Uh, okay. Actually, not too long after the album came out, so yeah, I yeah. do remember it. That's a good one, and um, it's a long one too. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. especially since they've chained the two together, but um, yeah, it's definitely worth the listen. And uh, Ten Thousand Days stands on its own, but I feel like listening to Wings for Marie helps you with that bookend and kind of the build up in the story. And then the other one that is more about love is a thing called Everything You're Not Supposed to Be by Damien Rice and, Mel- and Melanie Laurent. And um, I'm a big Damien Rice fan, and he is kind of depressing anyway. <laughs> um, although I don't think he's as depressing as everybody, you know, outsiders think he is. But anyway, this song, though, really got me. I was looking for some new Damien Rice. It was kind of in a you know, dry spell for him doing music, and he was just doing a couple, releasing a couple of things here and there. And he did this duet with her. And uh, uh, some backstory: he used to have Lisa Hannigan with him on tour and and in the studio. And apparently, they had a relationship that didn't work out, and therefore, their creative endeavors kind of split too. And so, as a fan and many other fans, never thought he would really pair up with somebody very well the same way he did with Lisa. So I was interested to hear what this like kind of female companion uh, duet was like. And that's what drew me to it. But then after listening to it, <laughs> it's about, it's called, um, well, it's called everything that, what did I say it was called? An evening, or a new name, I forget. Everything you're not supposed to be is what it's called. And when I got into it, everything you're not supposed to be in the course, it says, um, but I only wanted you to know that I never wanted to go. I know I was everything you're not supposed to be to someone that you love. And they take turns on the verses, basically talking about how they know that they weren't something they were supposed to be to the person or, or they recognize that that person wasn't what they needed and that they're kind of moving on. And it's a, it's really sad in a heartbreaking way that they're just both okay with it, but also both damaged and hurt by it at the same time you know that that tough like you can't um we're trying to say it's just a tough decision you know sometimes it's not so clear it's not that you walk in and someone's you know cheating on you <laughs> and, right. and and you can feed off that anger or that something else sometimes something just happens and and you end up in this spot so uh the lyrics are really really good i want you guys to listen to those if you haven't heard this song before Definitely. You've mentioned Damien Rice several times, and um, I want to listen to it. I just haven't had a chance to sit down and put it on my radar. So um, please ping me and say, Paul, you need to spend (laughs) at least an hour listening to the following two or three songs, and and, uh, I will do it because um, everything you've said has, has been very intriguing. So. Mm-hmm. Um, no, and what, what you're mentioning there, um, uh, you know, with relationships and whatnot, I mean, humanity, we, we already know humanity's complicated yes. and now we have machines that get in the middle of humanity and there's no tone in mm-hmm. what you are reading. So somebody could be sarcastic, but someone takes it for, uh, reality and all of a sudden, you know, a, a big heated argument pops up out of nowhere. Right. right. But. Um, you know, what you're saying there between uh, those two, I mean, we're all the sum of our own experiences. And that's something I, I try to remember every day when it comes to any kind of conflict with someone or um, where, you know, somebody may be having a bad day and are treating you a certain way. And it's just like, well, that's, you know, it's probably not me, you know what I mean, that's causing that. And so, mm-hmm. um, you know, 
it's it's nice to hear perspectives and and uh, as you said that I was thinking to myself man I'm writing a lot of instrumentals and not really getting too deep and a lot of it is time is my biggest enemy and mm-hmm. um as a musician I want to be able to sit down next year and spend more time really digging deep into concepts and and experiences of my life and and put them on paper with words aside from just the the music alone so thank you for that is what I'm getting at. Yeah. And of course I'd be interested to hear what comes out of that. <laughs> the JPP camp. Right on. Yeah. Who was the singer with Damien Rice? Melanie Laurent. I'd never really heard of her before. Um, and yeah, I think I it was actually her didn't... project and he was featured on it. But... Ah, okay. Yeah. I was gonna say I didn't, didn't ring a bell or anything. Yeah. It just, yeah. Very nice. Now, um, nice. how many uh, honorable mentions do you have, Tony? <laughs> um, well, Let's see. <laughs> One, two, three, four, five. Six, you seven, son of a bitch. Eight, I knew you were going to have them. I have at least 10 honorable mentions. <laughs> is Careless Whisper on there? <laughs> no, but Father Figure is. Oh, man. Attaboy. <laughs> yeah. Guilty feet have got no rhythm, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> would, would you like to go through your uh, your honorable mentions? Yeah, sure. I'll, <laughs> why not? <laughs> uh, I'll make it short. Um a couple that a couple that I grouped together because I feel like they they have the same. Uh, you you said time is your enemy, Paul. So I'm going to start with this one: <clears throat> "Older Chess" by Damien Rice and the song "Time" by Pink Floyd. I feel like they're sad mm. in their own right because they really bring to the forefront like just how quickly this whole life goes. You know. Oh yeah, the lyrics to "Time" are are just it hits it right on the head. Yes. Um. So those um that I grouped together. There's a song called Funeral by Phoebe Bridgers, which I've mentioned on the show before. Mm-hmm. And she tells a story about um, being sad, but but trying to keep it in perspective because she's singing a song for at a funeral for someone who lost their kid. And so that's a sad one. And then speaking of funerals, uh, anybody that does any version of this, Sarah McLaughlin's done it, but a lot of people have done it. It's been around for a while, but Gloomy Sunday is a pretty sad song. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm but I like that it does come out of that into like a dream state and the person's still there. So that's a good hopeful one. Um, for me personally, simple man, by Leonard Skinner, uh, mm-hmm. just kind of like has that like message of mom to her son. Um, am I inside and don't follow by Alice in Chains. Another kind of one of those like metal bands that steps aside and, and can still do something outside of that heavy stuff. Um, I'd have to mention something I can never have and all that could have been by Nine Inch Nails. Personal songs chug, of mine. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Double drink. Um, there's a song called Latter Days. I, that's another one I'll probably ping you guys to say, have you heard this yet? But Latter Days, um, Over the Rhine. And I mentioned this one not mm-hmm. only because it's sad, but it also um, sparked the first chapter of the novel that I'm writing. And then a classic, Pictures of You by The Cure. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Very nice. I could have put The Cure's entire discography on my list, to be honest (laughs) with you. Um, You know, because there's so many songs. Apart is one of them that I definitely listened to a lot in high school when I was all mopey as a teen. Man, my friends are mad at me. I don't know what likes me. (laughs) Henry Henry Rollins called uh, Robert Robert Smith. Henry Rollins used to make fun of him and say he was just a sad, fat clown. <laughs> With a great voice. Yeah, I so love appropriate Robert for the time. I mean, that just, every time I hear him, it just takes me back. I love it. 
Mm-hmm. Hey, speaking of Robert Smith, have you guys seen the meme of Robert sitting in a golf cart that says, get in, losers, we're going crying? <laughs> no. <laughs> I'll have to dig that up can, and put it on the page. Can yeah. we put that as our logo for this particular episode? <laughs> That's Let's perfect. See. Did you guys have honorable mentions? I had no. one. I had just one. Um, it's it's actually kind of a, a, a song for my family here, you know, my immediate family here. Mm-hmm. Um, have either of you seen the movie Coco? No. Is that the new one? Uh, the really uh, colorful. Mm-hmm. It looked like another movie that came out a few years ago. Yeah, it's a uh, basically you know about um, Day of the Dead or whatever. Day of the Dead, yeah, down yeah. in Mexico, and um, it's it's a fantastic film. Uh, my wife went and studied in Mexico uh, for her final classes during the summer, right before we got married. So she definitely has a love and appreciation for um, a lot of the traditional Mexican culture, and um, so in this movie, I won't. Sp- Build the plot, okay. but there's a song that pops up a couple of times, and much like what Steve was saying with Star Wars, um, it, it has a couple of different uh, uh, variations on how they they did it. There's an upbeat version, and then there's the the true version of the song. But the lyrics basically are, are "Remember me, though I have to say goodbye. Remember me. Don't let it make you cry forever. If I'm far away, I hold you in my heart." I sing a secret song to you each night we are apart. And um, the way the song is used each time, uh, with the exception of the poppy version, if you watch it, you'll see how it plays into the story. But um, there are times, well, actually the first probably three or four times, my wife couldn't watch certain scenes without just melting. And um, it definitely you know i teared up and certainly had uh some feels during those scenes too because um it resonates uh with us quite a bit especially when you have elderly members of your family and things like that um and and as a father uh with a daughter that that part of that is in that story too so um it was one i wanted to mention just because of the fact that we as a family definitely have shared experiences on how that song resonates with us um and i i would definitely suggest if you guys have a chance to sit down and watch the movie the colors are fantastic the story is brilliant the music is great too and um you know you you would see just how this song plays throughout the entire film and tony you would be happy or interested to know that there are certain scenes when you see lights they have i don't know i want to say they had like a million different layers i mean like of course they had a a gigantic render farm to do the the film but just Mm -hmm. to see how all of these lights looked so natural in the film you would be completely uh floored cool yeah all right i think before we move on to uh industrial metal and uh the new uh was it americant i'm not even sure how Mm -hmm. you say that's got kkk in the middle but anyway uh, before (laughs) we do that let's go ahead and hit the challenge for next week since we're on the topic and jpp it is your birthday so we're giving you the challenge and it was your turn anyway so uh (laughs) what you got for us well, I'm short. You can say shorty, too. It's my birthday. Um, shorty. <laughs> <laughs> We're going way back. Yeah. So, funny story. Um, this weekend, a good hometown friend, Winston, gave me a call. And he's one of those guys that when, when we get on the phone, we could have 50 million things going on, but we'll still 
make sure we have a good ample amount of time to chat. And he was actually on a break at work and uh, he had to go and the, the uh, uh, drill started running and it was completely loud. But um, and I had, you know, things going on here. But uh, we, we were talking about music and I brought up the podcast and and uh, he brought up a question. So this is basically him asking a question that I want to create a challenge out of. But he was basically saying, if you have a producer that worked on an album that is momentous, you know, first off, he was asking, you know, how much do you think the producer plays a role in that album? Which I answered tons. You look at certain albums that uh, have come out and the the producer is named as, as a direct influence or, you know, a reason why the album took a shift in a different direction and the band was either pleased with it or they, after a certain time, they dropped him and things like that. So the question becomes... Aside from the artist producing their album themselves, um, who would you say are, you know, is or are, if you have a couple, um, that's fine too. Um, not a huge laundry list, but you know, favorite producers. And then who would you like to see as a producer work with a particular band? And, and you know, how, how do you think they would shape that sound, if you know what I mean? So yes. you have. You know, we'll call him Robert Hollywood Mogul, and he's worked on several albums in the 80s, and uh, he had a consistent sound. How would he sound working with, you know, X metal band or whatever the case may be? Yes. Robert Hollywood Mogul is one of my favorite producers, by the way. <laughs> well, I didn't want to throw a direct example and kind of skew the, the possibilities. So, What are you talking about? He produced the uh, Showbiz Pizza Band. Oh, that's where right. do you think they got those dope riffs? <laughs> Keep in mind, he's working with the River Bottom Nightmare Band, so be on the lookout. <laughs> oh, anytime you can get an Emmett Otter reference, that's a uh, drink. So, folks, drink up to Emmett Otter. <laughs> yeah, that's a good challenge. I like that. Oh, I don't think anybody will pick this, so I, I'm not. If they do, I'm sorry. But I always love when someone tries something different. Like I know there was a lot of flack when Chris Cornell and Timberland got together. Mm -hmm. Um. But I thought it was interesting. You know, I love one. Why would you not try that if you, mm -hmm. if you could? I mean, I know that yeah. there's commercial success and that could be your livelihood and stuff. But if it interests you, especially as the artist and you have a chance to work with a producer, why wouldn't you? Yeah. yeah. Well, Reznor worked. Was it Saul Williams that he worked with? Yes, I love that old project. Yeah. Yeah, you know, so it's a different take on on some hip hop, and then um, there, another one came to mind. But when I brought that up, it completely drew a blank. But oh well, Timbaland, yeah, we already talked about Muse, and he had a, a hand in some of the production for the Muse, Muse's latest release. So you know, mm -hmm. there's nothing wrong with crossing the the fence of genres and and seeing how somebody's style can play into what you've got going on. Yeah, yeah, and some producers are best because they're hands off. And they just simply lend that ear to, Good you point. need to dial it back and find, you know, get your groove that you had. And they don't actually add a lot, but they pull back extras that keep you from producing the music that you want. Yeah. Well, I know that just happened recently. So, yeah. with Rick well, Rubin. Yeah, exactly. He just lays on the couch and then, uh, you know, listens to it and then, all right, yeah, just do that. Got to go. Yeah. <laughs> and they What's do it. They're uh, like, genius. <laughs> Sign me up. Was yep. it Rick Rubin? Was it Rick Rubin or Flood that um, produced Pretty Hate Machine? Do you remember? That was Flood. That's what I thought. Which I thought was interesting because we've talked about that before. But the whole how Pretty Hate Machine sounded pre getting a hold of a producer like that. You know? Right. Right. So yeah. Pardon me one second here. Yeah. Oh, my daughter's woke up. Yes, yeah, here. I need some water. You need some water? Okay. I'll be right back, fellas. Okay. Sure. <laughs> 
cool. Thanks. We're going to leave that in the podcast, I hope. <laughs> now we just need to like insert some like out elevator off... music. Well, no, no, some <laughs> off frame like yelling. I said, don't bother me. <laughs> Put the chainsaw down. <laughs> oh, all right. Terribly sorry about that, fellas. That's all right. It's quite cool. all right. <laughs> Kiddo call. She was terribly thirsty. So. Okay, so for this show, we had originally planned on uh, reviewing the Kanye album, and um, apparently he's going back to work on it, so it's not ready yet. So um, we, we saw an article recently uh, about Al Jorgensen from Ministry, and so we thought, you know what, maybe we do a little deep dive into uh, some industrial metal, and um, we, we hadn't talked about the album that came out last spring from Ministry, which is the first one in five years. So uh, tonight, we're going to dig in a little bit uh, to Ministry's past, a little bit about Al, and um, review the new album. So we'll kick it off with JPP. Yeah, very cool. So Al Jorgensen, Ministry, uh, a name that has been around for a very long time. Um, Admittedly, I didn't know much about him until high school especially when uh, Psalm 69 broke out and uh, Jesus Built My Hot Rod was a, a pop song. Well, I say a pop song, but it was definitely on the uh, uh, regular them. rotation. On, yeah, exactly, on Headbanger's Ball. But once I heard it, had to dig in and, and figure out more. Land of uh, Rape and Honey is certainly uh, an aggressive album from them. And The Mind is a Terrible Thing to Taste, fantastic uh, yes. album. Yep. And I don't know I don't know if you guys ever heard, in case you didn't feel like showing up, the live album. Oh, yes. I, uh, I got to say, I love Mind is a Terrible Thing, but I love that live album more. Things are tuned down a little bit, and it's just gritty, and it's authentic. And mm-hmm. it, they pull off the, the music very well. Um, and I think Jello Biafra makes a guest appearance in there mm-hmm. somewhere too, so you can't go yep. wrong with that. Yep. Um, I wanted to talk about this. Well, first off, we took a an impromptu break with the holidays. Things just got a little crazy here with tra- traveling and things like that. So thanks for that. Um, and then uh, with Kanye uh, kind of changing the direction a little bit, saw some articles and and uh, I definitely felt Al needed a, a, a mention because. He just turned 60 recently, and for for those out there who listen to music, there's certainly those that uh, have followed like the Grateful Dead for many, many years, and several other artists of the classic rock vein that we consider classic rock um, that are still touring, and, and they may have some new musicians in the band, but the band name is still there. There's still some key players in that group, but the fact that Al Jorgensen is still kicking for one, he's lived to tell about it. He's kind of like the Keith Richards of industrial music, and he's still creating intense, heavy music to this day. I mean, that's that's incredible. I mean, you know, the guy has lived his life to the truest form and, and uh, still continues with his medium and, and uh, you know, doesn't uh, falter from that. So, um, you know, I, I just felt like it was important to mention that, you know, we're at a point now where our heroes are now considered classic rock. Some of our songs that uh, we listen to in our contemporary heyday are now on classic rock stations. And um, if you would pass over the vanilla ice cream for my slice of humble pie, that would be great. But, <laughs> you know, um, I just wanted to start off with that. And then I would be interested to hear what Steve has to say about the album. I gave a listen too, but uh, I want to start off with his thoughts and then, you know, I'll chime in afterward. 
Well, um, I, it, what's interesting is you were in high school. I was in college when I first got my taste of ministry, and we, um, uh, like every day, we had Psalm 69, Land of Rape and Honey, and uh, Mine is a Terrible Thing on the playlist constantly. Uh, in NWO, Amazing, Stigmata, those are songs that are just amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but I kind of got away from that after that, you know, I got married, we had kids, um, I kind of got lost a little bit. Um, and so I haven't been a, a listener who digs into the albums and really knows what's going on. I know we, we uh, he did a bunch of albums, uh, about Bush, you know, very political. So this one, Americant with KKK cleverly hidden in the title. It's not really hidden. It's bright red <laughs> outside of the other white letters. So you, you kind of know what you're getting. Uh, on the cover, you've got the Statue of Liberty doing a face palm. Um, so you know you're going to get some political stuff here. Mm-hmm. The first song, I Know Words, uh, direct slam on Trump, which is, is kind of funny. Um, I, I guess, though, I'm, I'm kind of at the point now, if people are making statements or something, that's just so easy. You know, I mm-hmm. wish they could do something a little different than just you know, slowing down his speech, you know, to, to kind of poke fun at him, whatever he, you don't need that. He put, you know, he's ridiculous in his own right. Um, so I kind of felt like that was just a cheap, easy way to go about it. As far as the music goes, I I really liked how this album worked. I felt like it flowed. Um, it was interesting. I know words starts off and it's kind of a, a slow build. Um, it's got some, he's really good about playing, uh, TV spots and little things in there. Um, always has done that, but it had some violins in there, some strings, which I thought were really cool. And it seamlessly goes into the next song, um, "Victim," and or uh, sorry, into "Twilight." I think is the next one on the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone, yeah, yeah. And it, but it adds, it continues a little bit with the violin, but it gets a little harder, a little faster. It's just like the slow build that keeps building up, and then it goes into the third song, "Victims of a Clown." And then those strings sort of take the background, and then we get some scratching, and it gets heavier. I thought that the album, as far as that goes, really was smooth. It felt like a cohesive unit uh, when you listen from beginning to end. I really dug that. And then uh, TV 5-4 channel, I think, um, was basically just like a commercial for the left wing against the right wing. Um, I guess you kind of expect that in there. And then uh, it really hits hard. We're tired of it. Um, it slams. It's like machine gun rapid fire. Um, mm-hmm really slamming we we keep the scratching or whatever and then we kind of kick it back with wargasm antifa game over and we get this heavy drum beat kind of going up front um and then all those sounds kind of come in so i felt like it was really layered it built um it felt like it was all the same thing even though each song was a little bit different um and then i kind of get back to this thing he's making a point it's very political I just I tire of the one side is right, the other side's completely wrong thing. And the song Antifa, which sort of glor- glorifies Antifa, I think that group is nearly as pathetic as the neo-Nazis on the right, and that they're a very violent group that says they're not about violence and they're about justice and all that. Yeah. When they're clearly not. So that kind of drives me crazy that we... I don't know. I guess I'm somebody who... Would like to see people come together, see both sides, and let's find a common middle where we can agree and start working together. Um, mm-hmm. But I know that's not what you're going to get. This is ministry. Uh, this is very political. This is making a statement. It certainly does that. I don't necessarily agree with everything, 
Um, but I did love the music. I, th- I felt like this thing was, uh, it had a lot of different, different sounds going on. I thought it was a little different than the past. I mean, uh, I guess a little more complex than some of their older music, maybe is the best way to put it. But I really dug the music. Yeah, you know, dare I say, you talking about the way the strings tie in and it flows through, uh, this is a mature album, um, you know, and Uncle Al, as he likes to call himself, certainly is on the wild side and on the fringe, and, uh, you know, it's like, yeah, he's a mature person, don't get me wrong, but maturity and in the the, uh, common way of saying it uh, certainly doesn't fall on him very well, you know what I mean? So um, I think this album has a very graduated uh, sense of elements with the or- orchestration, the layering, and and just the way the theme drives through across the board. Um, yeah, I think I, I'll have to dig deeper, but um, I think that TV5 4chan has to do with the, the website 4chan. I know that there's uh, uh, kind of a... Uh, I, I don't know much about it. I know that there's a quite a, a following on there, and uh, there's a lot of political uh, trolling and things like that, if, if I remember correctly. I am certainly not completely versed on, on that uh, site or anything like that, so you know, please take that for what it is. Um, but, yeah, I felt like the album had a lot of nods to certain eras of ministry. There's certainly... Uh, cert- um, kind of similar sounds and synth elements to Land of Rape and Honey. Uh, he didn't go into Twitch or with sympathy by any means, but uh, <laughs> mentioned that on a previous episode that uh, that was very synth-pop-driven, kind of 80s new wave. Fantastic albums in their own right, too, even though it's a completely, you know, it's on the other side of the fence, and Al hasn't really gone back to that since. But um, I, I felt like, too, there's some nods to key influences. Uh, Wargasm had mm-hmm. a, a killing joke vibe to me, uh, kind of, especially with the guitar parts and, and the chorus. It reminded me of Jazz Coleman from Killing Joke singing it. Very good tune. Um, and, and, you know, I'm, I'm in the same boat with you, Steve, where there's uh, certainly, you know, a message driven and it's driven very hard. And, you know, I, I appreciate that, you know, Al's very passionate about his beliefs and, and what he feels. And, you know, in, in one way, maybe that's his, his way of opening up the dialogue on that side, be it, you know, in my personal taste, it may be a little more extreme than, or I say a little more, a lot more extreme than, than who I am. But, uh, you know, nonetheless, he's having that conversation from his point of view. Then at that point, whose who's job is it to, you know, interject and say, well, I see what you're saying, but... Here's, you know, my side of that coin, too. T-Bags, you got anything to say about that? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I, I like I said earlier, I, I didn't listen to the album, and I want to. Actually, I mean, my history with ministry goes back. Funny thing is I was first introduced to ministry by Marianne, my sister, and your wife, Steve. Like, I say it's got to be, like, mid to late 80s with uh, Every Day is Halloween. Excellent it, tune. Yeah, it got me into like, okay, it was just on the verge of me starting to listen to Nine Inch Nails. I got into them like 89. And so there was this parallel path of like, it felt like ministry was always going to be underground and it felt like Nine Inch Nails was, you know, you saw their trajectory go where they were crossing over. But I loved ministry, um, still do. So I, I'm listening to you guys' reviews. I, I'm happy to hear that the music that you guys are both saying you like the music. Paul's saying it's kind of matured too. Um, Cause I was wondering, you can only do so much. There is some certain point where I get tired of it being the same 
band when it's hard to have that that same feeling from 1987 in 2018. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but they have been staples. They've been great. And then, uh, but I'm with you guys. I mean, the political, it's almost like we're reviewing this. So it's easy to say the, say it about this album, but I think it's about the culture that we're in right now. You know, whether it is the album or if it's YouTube or if it's, you know, divisive news stations or whatever the case may be. I think we're all just a little sick of the, one-sided 24-7 I'm right you're wrong rhetoric you know right so I I, I, look, I look forward to hopefully seeing a day where the pendulum swings and music is less political and more a break from the politics in and of itself but you know you do need art out there and people speaking for things they believe in and that is part of music's job so mm-hmm. I'm gonna have to give it a listen but I I uh, I'm interested to hear what you guys' star reviews are and if you'll listen to it again, but at least there are some positive things that are like, okay, well, I'm going to do this on my own and not for the podcast. And Definitely. Foggy, yeah. what you what you got on a rating for that thing? I got about a 3.5 out of 5. That's good. Um, I did really like it. I mean, I, I was a little turned off by the message, but, um, but I do get it. It is art. It is his message. Mm-hmm. And I respect that. Um, I guess with the... With the Trump thing again, it's just so easy. You know, I wish, yeah, wish it was a little more calm. With art, I wish there was a little more complication there, um, <laughs> a little more thought. I don't know. Uh, maybe yeah. I'm just being a pain in the ass. <laughs> uh, JPP, what's your rating? I'm going to give it a three and a half as well. Um, you know, again, with the, the music, it certainly was a, a winning element for it. And, you know, when it comes to the content, I mean, like I said earlier, I listened to the to the, gro- the groove and the guitars before I start listening to the lyrics and things like that. But uh, um, some other pieces that I really enjoyed about the album is uh, that Jason Christopher is on bass. He has uh, played with a lot of artists through the years. Corey Taylor, he's he's done some live acoustic jams with him, and uh, he's been the bassist for Prong for some time. He was on tour with Ministry for a while, and then Tony Campos c- came on board and finished up. I was going to go see the Ministry live because Jason was playing with him. I saw Prong the last two times they came to Indiana, and he's awesome. He's a good dude, and uh, I just was wanted to support him but um and nothing against tony i've seen tony with soulfly before but um you know i was kind of bummed because i was really had my heart set on seeing him jam with with ministry but uh dj swamp is on the album as well so he's got a good arsenal of musicians that really contributed to it um looks like uh burton c bell from fear factory does some backing vocals too so some really cool collaborations and i think that really embellished the the overall quality of the album to me um, oh, sorry, there was something else I was going to say. One second, I just wanted to double check and read things. Oh, how about that harmonica in there too? Mm-hmm. Uh, that was a nice uh, change of pace for uh, Al Jorgensen as well. Well, now I gotta listen. Yeah, I like those new sounds. I thought it was cool. <laughs> yeah, I'll definitely have to listen. Oh, and you you mentioned four chan, and um, that is that is kind of like a uh, similar to like a Reddit, but. Uh, has kind of spawned a lot of underground things. It's it's from what I remember, you you aren't like registered. It's fairly anonymous, and a lot of things mm-hmm. of kind of like groups and 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 movements and stuff have spawned from there. And I could be wrong. I have to double check this. I was going to, but I didn't want my typing to be up to be in the audio. <laughs> but gotcha. I think um, getting Rickrolled started on 4chan. Okay, really? yeah, yeah. I, I know it's in, evolved because a lot of. Uh, uh, 
anytime I've gotten a link from there, I've never really opened it because I've usually been in an office and it's somebody will say NSFW. I'm like, okay, well, I'm not going to go there. <laughs> so I've just never risked it. <laughs> yeah. Um, All right. I think that yeah. wraps up ministry for this evening. Sweet. So um, anything else that we listened to this week? Teabags, your birthday was first. What did you um, listen to? I didn't really... I. I listen to so much of the sad stuff <laughs> that, uh, you know, I still, I, I could put a lot more out there as honorable mentions, but, um, I, I, what it, what it did make me do was go through and listen to some of the albums from these people that I do like. So, you know, I did listen to a lot more Damien Rice that I hadn't listened to for a while and Pink Floyd, especially, you know, I love them. And so, uh, nothing, nothing exactly new for this week. JPP. Well, I, I heard happy birthday a bunch. Um, that was kind of fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, uh, my, my family has been, we've been out and about and, and had a lot of Christmas music on. My, my wife absolutely loves it. My daughter does too. Um, so that's been on regular rotation. But uh, when I've had a free moment by myself and been able to listen to some stuff, um, I've been digging deep into some synthwave playlists. Um, I'll have to grab one and, and throw it in the show notes. It's just a general compilation but over the past week i've been working on a particular tune called rain um i actually put a teaser up on my instagram of it um i did some motion graphics and there's a nice photo of a guy walking across the street with a taxi cab you know going the opposite direction and it's kind of dark and misty and it's rainy and i actually animated some rain into the mix too and um, i was just real happy with it It almost has a blade runner type feel to it um so just really kind of digging deep into those sounds and just trying to uh, not necessarily copy them, but certainly bass lines always have a nice grit <laughs> in that style of music. So I'm always looking for what different artists are, are doing with it. Cool. What about you, Steve? I didn't listen to much this week. <laughs> no, I listened to Ministry Bunts. I, I just didn't have a lot of time. Um, yeah. I had a big paper to write this week. But I did finally get back on and uh, watched a couple more episodes of Daredevil Season 3. I'm still trying to finish it. Um, I can't believe R. I haven't didn't they cancel gotten there yet. Yeah. I think Netflix is canceling everything that's Marvel, and I assume it's because Disney will be picking it up for their pay channel uh, oh. in the not-too-distant future. A um, gotcha. couple cool notes. Since I mentioned uh, Jeff Lemire earlier, being my mm-hmm. favorite comic artist, he has a couple of uh, creator-owned projects that he does outside of uh, Marvel and DC that just got picked up for TV series on different... Uh, Different plat- platforms, I think. One's on Hulu. Um, one's on Amazon, I think. Well, he had already sold Essex County, which was just an amazing three-part story that takes place in his hometown in Canada. Uh, but then Sweet Tooth, which I referenced earlier about the boy with antler ears, got picked up. And I think Robert Downey Jr.'s company is making that, which ought to be super awesome. And nice. then uh, Black Hammer, which is his current one, which has all these spinoff books. Um, the whole Black Hammer world is coming, and uh, they're going to be making that into a live action. So I am super excited as long as he gets to stay involved and dictate the direction of some of it so it keeps the essence of those stories because they're so good. Nice. I will say so, I, uh, I went back and watched Blackish, too, based off of our Prince conversation. Mm-hmm. And um, now kind of going back and watching them all again. So fantastic show. I'm glad you reintroduced me to that. Oh, my gosh. Did, did, did you see this week's episode? No, I'm watching them kind of backwards from Hulu. Um, so I 
we're we're starting with season five again and starting from the beginning of season five and going forward. So I haven't got there yet. This week's episode was so good. It just shined a whole new light on uh, Kaepernick taking the knee. Very okay. clever. It's just the way that it presents topics that are potentially um, very divisive and get people yeah. going. And I think if any side would just watch it and see the way that they present it, it'd be like, dang, that makes so much sense. No, I agree. I, the um, last one I just watched was something about like calling the police and yes. how that how that matters between what race you're calling the police on. And it was yeah. it was an interesting take and and some cool conversations in there in the mix of comedy, you know. Yeah, yeah. The so. uh the office scenes are always hilarious with yes. the rich white guys <laughs> and uh but something very something intelligent always comes out of those conversations. I love it. I like uh, it. Uh, and yeah. speaking of things we're watching just throwing this out here, if you guys have not seen Homecoming, it's on Amazon Prime. It's like a ser- a 10 episode series with Julia Roberts. Oh yeah, it I've is, seen the previews. It's just a, such a good story. And I'm not like I don't even know if it's necessarily moving or anything. It's just you know when you end you end an episode and you want to watch the next one, there's sometimes where you just feel like you want to watch it because it's so weird and you're <laughs> confused and you're lost but you want to watch it. Mm-hmm. This isn't like that. This is like you're just intrigued. <laughs> like they are tricking you at every corner and i'm not giving anything away because i don't know anybody that could watch it and figure out where everything is going but they just do such a great job of giving you just enough information and giving you and and just leading you all the way through the whole arc is is awesome sweet all right jpp where can we find you well you can find us at uh, facebook under wanderings and wool gathering also on instagram as wanderings and wool gathering if you want to seek me out directly, uh, you can find me at Instagram under Just Plain Paul. Also on Facebook under JPP Invasion. Sweet teabags. Uh, same. Uh, social media is a great way to do it. Um, if you want something specific, just kind of shout out at me. And then um, you can also find me at any Nine Inch Nails concert that you buy me tickets for. <laughs> <laughs> not happening alright <laughs> and uh, <laughs> you can find me on Twitter uh, Instagram uh, Foggy's Pal find me over at uh, breakthefourth.com um, you guys might want to go check it out if uh, we mentioned uh, something from Disney earlier and uh, animation stuff with Coco uh, one of the writers over there Ray Goldfield's doing this big huge uh, multi-part uh, story it's like uh, the top I think he did 47 Disney movies of all time ranking them it is wow. really cool. It takes you back when you start thinking about them. I disagree in about every one of them, but uh, they are <laughs> wonderfully written. <laughs> Such a smart guy, and uh, they're really cool articles, so you got to check that out. Breakthefourth.com. And I think that wraps it up this week. Next week, we'll be talking about our favorite music producer, and um, we'll have something else musical to talk about. It'll be a surprise. We'll see you then. Bye now. Fellow wool gatherers, thanks for listening. We really appreciate it. Now it's time to get social. Add us on Instagram at Wanderings and Wool Gathering. If you're on Facebook, you can find our page also at Wanderings and Wool Gathering. If you're on iTunes, please feel free to drop us a review. We'd love to know how we're doing. 
And if you follow us on social, please comment and add to the community. We would love to know your thoughts on the challenges and the music we share. There's lots of music out there, and we'd love to talk about it. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you next week.